Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise from today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guests by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. At Content Allies, we turn you and your organization into industry thought leaders. We interview you and your leadership team, and then turn those interviews into articles, white papers, videos, podcasts, and social content. Learn more and say hello at contentallies.com. All right, Raj, thank you for coming on the show today. Super excited to have you here. And for everyone in the audience who doesn't know who you are or who um, Bodala is, can you give us the quick kind of just 30 second, 30, 60 second pitch of uh, what your company does today? Sure. Uh, I'm Raj Goyle. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bodala, and we are the leading analytics tool in optimizing your outside counsel legal bills. And we work for some of the largest insurance carriers, private equity firms, banks uh, in the world. And we are really a groundbreaking new technology that gives you the should cost of that lawyer bill. Interesting. I love that. That's very succinct. And, and so let's maybe dive a bit more into that. So if I'm understanding correctly, um, what you're saying is trying to give people the kind of almost like the market rates um, for, say, for a legal firm, whenever they're trying to hire something versus, you know, so that way they don't have to go out and get a bunch of quotes or know, is this firm charging me more than I should be for the rates for this? Can you maybe describe a bit more? Sure, Jake. Well, it's funny that what you just suggested is actually not the status quo. Uh, the buyer side of the legal market in the corporate world actually doesn't go out and test the market or get quotes. As many of us know, uh, I don't think there's anybody in the history of the world who's actually enjoyed their legal bill. Uh, it always comes back larger and uh, than, than anticipated or quoted. And so to kind of step back, if you think about it for a lot of your viewers, Everybody, lots of industries exist in a market. And we know when in an efficient market, there's a buy side and a sell side, right? And a lawyer is obviously on the sell side. They are a service provider. But the buy side of any functional market usually has five key traits. The buy side has the benefit of price discovery. Am I paying the right amount? They have the benefit of competition. That's capitalism in a nutshell. They have the benefit of their own data to make informed decisions. They have the benefit of innovation, which is as the industry gets smarter and better, the buy side should benefit from that. And of course, they expect accountability on the sell side vendor. All five of those attributes are completely missing in the corporate legal sector. The buy side of our industry, of our profession, I'm a Harvard Law graduate from 20 years ago. My co-founder was at HLS with me. Um, for what it's worth, my wife is an equity partner of one of the fanciest law firms in the world. So we have extraordinary domain knowledge of the legal world, of the law firm business model, of the legal uh, education apparatus, all of it um, from high to low. And ultimately, this is a profession and an industry that is extraordinarily immature about the buying decisions and the metrics to evaluate service per, uh, uh, performance than probably any white collar industry in the world. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And it is one of those industries that, uh, as I've seen and just working around it and seeing other industries, it is one that is, it seems to be moving very much slower in a lot of ways than many other industries that are kind of innovating. It's 
a lot of law firms uh, are just still doing well, the same. Yeah, I can say this as somebody with a law degree. I don't think anybody, when they look up lawyer in the dictionary, thinks innovation or being foot forward. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I won't get into the uh, sociology or psychology uh, or the psychiatry even of who goes to law school um, in terms of temperament and so on. But if you think about the law, particularly in America, it is a precedential system, right? It is based on precedent. What happened in the past? So the law is almost inherently backwards looking. And this is an industry that literally when email came out, partners at law firms had quotes like the following. I will never trust sensitive client information to electronic mail. I need to have a courier send it around. You know, my older brother's first job in the Midwest where we grew up in the 1980s was a runner for a law firm right? Because you just were going around with pouches of documents. So the law as a profession and an industry is always technology or always technology laggards. And so one of the motivations for starting Bodala was that the technology stack for the buy side of a house <clears throat> for the general counsels and the chief legal officers is extraordinarily weak for the amount of money. This industry, Jake, is a half a trillion dollar global, you know, addressable market. In North America alone, $250 billion. So the dollar amounts that are going into these law firms are staggering. I mean, billions and billions of dollars. I mean, the 25th rank law firm in America has revenues of a billion dollars. And I think most people are just completely unaware of the, of the uh, sheer amount of profit and dollars that go to these service providers. It's not to say they're not entitled to the revenue or margin, but it certainly cries out for the fact that the buy side of the house should optimize it to make sure that every dollar is spent with high value. And that right now is not the case in the current status quo market. That's uh, that's fascinating. And, and so it leads me to kind of curious with your model is, um, who are the customers um, for Badala and like who are you specifically serving or what does that look like? Yeah, so uh, we work for the general counsel, the chief legal officers of corporate legal departments. So we work for massive insurance carriers, financial services firms, hospitals, energy companies, manufacturers. We really have, uh, uh, you know, very honored to partner with the with the companies that we work for and work with. And so our model is we're a software company. So we have built a box and a platform where you can get insights on your spend that you simply can't get elsewhere. You just can't do it. You know, there is no existing technology that has made the investments in machine learning and algorithms that we have to actually pull apart that opaque, confusing legal bill. So right now in the status quo world, even if you were at the largest investment bank in the world, you get a series of almost hieroglyphic line entries. Point three, Jake and Raj, PC, phone call, uh, RE, Zoom meeting, RE, B2B podcast, uh, you know, uh, and, and billions of these line items. And there's no set standard that's actually uniform across the industry of how the law firms structure them. At, at a base level, there is some structure, but one example I give is that my parents are physicians. If my dad does a heart cath in Phoenix or in Manhattan or in Erie, Pennsylvania, it's billed in a certain way. 
because that is obviously third party pay, the government's involved, and there is a set operating system of healthcare. Now, there's a lot of things wrong with the American healthcare system. That's, that's a podcast for another day. But the point is there is billing rigor. In the legal industry, that rigor doesn't exist. And so the buy side of the house allows the sell side of the house to frankly uh, act in a way that is in the sell side's best interest. And so our objective is not to be in any way anti-law firm. It is to actually strengthen the relationship between the buyer and the seller, but to do it through data. Nice. I love that. And I, I love that analogy of uh, the U.S. healthcare system where you've got the codes and, you know, I, I just spend a good amount of time in that system working in some companies there. And it's, you know, physical therapists, like they have their codes that they build and like, these are the different types of things. And that makes so much sense from a legal perspective to how do you almost standardize it a bit? And so is that kind of what your guys systems and softwares has done is to say, let's take all of these random things people are building, standardize these into codes in a sense or something like that. So you can actually compare them to the proper rates or uh, what we are on. uh, We are definitely on a journey toward that. I'd say that would be sort of the, uh, the ideal state. In the meantime, we are able to, through our software, give our clients and our, and these companies uh, an inordinate amount of insight in terms of what are happening, what are anomalies in the spend patterns and so on. And yes, we have created the industry's first ever custom benchmarking that is actionable. You know, right now, here's, here's a funny thing that happens, which is if I had, if you had a podcast and you invited 100 general counsels and said, hey, general counsels, how many of you get discounts from your law firms? 100 of 100 hands would go up. If you go to the sell side and you had a conference of 100 law firm partners said, how many of you discount your rates? 100 hands go up. Well, last time I checked, a discount is only a discount if there's a baseline. If I have a $5 Big Mac and I have a 20% coupon, I know I saved a buck. But if I get a 20% discount of something where I don't know the price, I actually didn't get a discount. And if everybody on the buy side and sell side is discounting, it's actually just, frankly, unknowable. It's just jello. There is actually no price of this service. And so what we've been able to do through our, our $20 billion data set and our algorithms is actually give clients hard, actionable science that says, for this practice area, for this kind of work, at the volume you're spending, this is what the range of what you should be spending. And that is a groundbreaking new frontier for us uh, in in the industry. Ultimately, though, Jake, as you said, we hope that when there is equilibrium in the industry, there will be a set, you could call them codes, you could call them protocols, what have you, that actually say, hey, buy side, hey, sell side, this is how we're going to communicate. This is how we measure value. And yes, law firm, you're entitled to a lot of margin. If, if that's where the equilibrium settles. But we're so far away from that. That is like many years away. Uh, that's fascinating. And, and so I'm, I'm curious, um, and I, I love that entire kind of um, point on the baseline where it's, yeah, I've always found that interesting with service providers saying, hey, yeah, we'll give you a nice discount. But it's like, well, discount on what? Because you can just set your price higher and then charge me the same. So it's well, well, a great I'm sorry point. to interrupt, <laughs> but if I, could, if I could tell you the law firm billing model, you'd be even more shocked which is the law firm billing model for the last 50 years 
but particularly in the last 10 years, as the kind of centripetal forces have taken law firm profit per partner to exponentially high uh, levels. For your viewers, there's an amazing article in the Wall Street Journal on August 10th of 2019. It was the it was the section cover about the law firm billing model. But the point is, Jake, every year, every year, like clockwork, the law firm raises its base rate on every timekeeper. And the law firm business model then is to raise their rate, have you pay for it, and then they tell the client, we have something called the realization rate, which is really just margin, right? It's just denominator, or sorry, numerator over denominator. So they raise their rate every year and then tell their clients, well, we're entitled to our margin, so we have to make sure we collect to keep our margin, but every year they artificially make that challenge harder to justify more money coming from the client. So there are retired partners who made five, $10 million a year, and they'll tell you over a scotch, I never understood why those clients just accepted the fact that I, I gave myself a raise every year. And then it gets even funnier, or depending on your which adjective you want to use, is that law firms are equity partner owned. So remember that there is no shareholder at a law firm. It is a partnership. So literally, they raise their rates, and then every year the equity partners divvy it up and just pay themselves more. There is no cost basis to a law firm outside of salaries and pencils and laptops. So it's an amazing business model. I give, you know, we at Bodala stand in awe of the 75-year, you know, I, we haven't done enough reading on the history, but, you know, I'm sure it's out there. Uh, I'm sure some uh, overpaid law professor has written some dusty treatise on this. Uh, but, uh, but in any case, uh, it is an amazing business model that has proven very dur durable and insanely profitable. That's fascinating. And, and so I'm curious uh, to dive into more how you got here. Um, what was your backstory and how did you get to the point where you're um, here kind of running this company, like, what did that look like? What was your journey? I know you said you came from a law degree and everything. And yeah. uh, so what, what was your path into running this tech company? How did this all come to be? Well, I, I have uh, admittedly a very nonlinear career trajectory. So That's what I gathered I'm from the LinkedIn. So I'm curious <laughs> on this part. <laughs> well, I'm originally from Wichita, Kansas, um, which, uh, which I know is, uh, very apparent from anybody with my, uh, my, my, my look and, and background, but I was raised in Wichita. Uh, my folks are doctors, as I said, so kind of very traditional, um, Indian American immigrant story on the professional side of the house. Uh, but long story short is I, you know, I went to college. I always had dreamed of being a civil rights lawyer. I was very passionate about public service since I was a very young age uh, and always was kind of a natural entrepreneur as well. So I then have kind of a standard, you could say, uh, traditional, let's say, civil rights career. I met my wife overseas when I worked in South Africa on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, she's also an Indian American from uh, the States. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. We met in Cape Town. But the long story short is that I ended up actually as a politician. So I was a civil rights lawyer, a practicing lawyer. I did real more legal policy than actual like litigation. I definitely was not a corporate lawyer at all. I worked at a think tank. Uh, I worked for John Podesta in Washington. As, a as one of the founding employees or one of the early employees, I should say, at the Center for American Progress. And then I go back to Wichita at age 30 and I won probably the toughest state house election win in the country for the Democratic Party in 2006. 
now almost 15 years ago. So I spent five intense years on the front lines of political battle. I was a local elected official. I served four years in the state house. I ran for the U.S. House in 2010 in a, in a, in a campaign where I was actually the first front runner, but I ended up getting killed because uh, it was the worst year in the history of the Democratic Party. I was a, a, a liberal um, uh, Indian American in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, that, that formula, um, as they say in the business world, there was a misalignment there. Uh, and um, so I moved to New York and uh, where my wife had a thriving legal career. She had been working remotely. And I said, and I met up with my old friend from law school, Kathan Javeri, and he said, hey, uh, let's think about this problem. And so, you know, to, to a long way of answering um, uh, your question, Jake, is that the common thread is that I got into public service and politics because I really hate inefficiencies and I hate problems that I view are solvable. Now, there's a lot of it's, a, it's many podcasts to discuss our current political state in America and the world. However, I will say and most people don't like to say this, but most public servants I know are actually more problem solving than people like to think, and that is stereotypically known. And so when I, when I sort of started studying the legal inefficiencies and all the harms that come of them, and being someone who's passionate about the legal system, it was a natural fit for me. Nice. Now, that's fascinating. And um, it, it's interesting seeing that whole background. And I can tell with like the civil rights and like almost how the way you talk about the uh, it's almost like the injustice of the law firms these days <laughs> that it's like, there's like a, there's still like this passionate, like justice that is coming through and like how you're talking about uh, it. It's funny you say that Jake. Yeah. And, and I know this is for public consumption, but yes, it is. Um, we talk about that sometimes in the business because I do have, uh, there is a moral edge that I have to this that um, I have had to learn to be candid, which is when you start a business, you know, particularly given who your audience is, you know, you have to have an edge of sort. You have to have a thesis. You have to have a point of view to go do something as crazy as saying, I'm going to will a company from a paper napkin into existence. And um, what I have learned in the journey of Bodala now that we are a rapidly growing company and uh, we're post series A and probably in, a, in, in, you know, going to be, you know, continuing to, to, to scale is that it really is... A, for our clients, you know, they don't, they don't view this as some sort of moral cause. They view it as a value-based cause, but it's okay. Those things are compatible, compatible because in my view, an inefficient legal system really hurts our country. And it's kind of like getting back to the healthcare analogy. Everybody knows healthcare is messed up. Everybody. We have massive public debates about legislation, uh, e economics, and so on, because everybody's a patient, right? Not everybody's in the healthcare system, but everybody on earth is a patient. Well, the problem with the American legal system is nobody even talks about this stuff. Nobody even knows that it's a quarter trillion dollar uh, industry on the corporate side. And people don't even realize that we graduate 40,000 lawyers a year. There's a million registered lawyers in this country and that our legal system badly serves our nation's needs. The poor get no legal services. They get Band-Aid charity care. The middle class, they're afraid of a legal dispute. That's a divorce, an accident, something like that. And then the wealthy get $1,500 an hour partner rates, you know, uh, that we talked about before. So, you know, ultimately, and Bodala is just, you know, 
uh, got one piece of this, but ultimately we need a much fairer, more egalitarian legal system to be a better country. I love that. And I just love that kind of mindset, the mission you have around it. And it's so true where, again, everyone talks about healthcare because it's relevant to everybody, but it's uh, legal is this rising cost to all industries. Um, this growing thing that is, you know, making your healthcare more expensive, probably in a way that um, I think people just don't see because it's not right there in front of them. Well, and it, it's interesting, you know, let me play kind of lay historian here. A lot of people who are in public service love history, which is our country was founded by lawyers. The legal system was in the DNA of the founding documents of our country. The founders had a reverence, you know, and Alexander Hamilton's obviously very hip and popular because of Lewin Manuel Miranda now. But, you know, Hamilton was viewed as this architect of the American legal system. Well, I would think that the, the founders would be aghast. They, they would be disgusted by what has become of this beautiful system that they envisioned, um, that they, they took the, the, the abuses from Europe and they said, hey, let's carve a system that's better off for this new world and for this new country. And unfortunately, the legal system, I think, has frankly metastasized um, in our society. And there's a lot going on there. There's a pop culture view. You know, we love a few good men and we love all the TV dramas. So there's this kind of like stylized pop culture notion. And it actually, frankly, masks a lot of what is structurally wrong with how the legal system's governed how it performs, and how it just frankly fails to meet the needs of this country. And the legal establishment, to be blunt, is also partially responsible for this. Uh, you know, the legal education system does nothing to challenge these ideas. The legal education system perpetuates it. And, and, and so they, they're actually, frankly, part of the problem. Uh, 203 law schools, I believe it is, all teaching the exact same curriculum. They literally teach the same five classes the first year of law school. And so no wonder that it's a hidebound, backwards-looking, non-innovative profession when it's structurally set up to be that way. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, and so I want to shift here for a second also as well as um, I'm curious to understand, um, you know, for Badala, you guys um, been around for about six years. You've uh, raised funding and everything as well. And I'm curious, maybe, uh, what does your role look like today, and how has that evolved over you know the past several years of the company? Uh, so you know, we have a classic story in that regard. You know, is uh, originally it was me and Kathan meeting in a, in my office nights and weekends, squirreling away. Uh, I remember a funny story. I had met John Doerr, the very famous venture capitalist, the billionaire, at a political event uh, with uh, with then President Obama. And I said, "Hey, John, uh, you know, nice to meet you. A little pleasantries. I, like, I got an idea for a legal startup." So we sent him our little like crap business plan, which I think was like in crayon or something, you know, and we got back some courteous uh, brush off from his assistant. And, um, and so, you know, we had, we lived a lot of that. And then we went out and raised some convertible uh, notes, you know, so I raised from uh, most, uh, almost exclusively my network of, uh, of friends and investors, but we had very serious tech investors, you know, this wasn't going to, what do they call that, uh, dentist, doctor, lawyer, cousin money. Um, you know, this was actual people understood technology. And so we are just a classic um, 
scaling story. You know, we went out and we had to innovate. Uh, we had a little bit of a pivot early on. We got the door slammed in our face for several years. We had to build a product. We had to get the product market fit. We had to get early customers. You know, I'm a big believer in crossing the chasm. Um, and I'd say we're kind of on that classic journey. I mean, you know, you had to get the visionaries, those first few clients that have the temerity to say, I'll try this new system. Uh, they could, they knew that we were five people or six people, um, but they were willing to be adventurous. It works. You get a few more and then suddenly you have dozens of clients and suddenly you have a board and then you raise institutional money. So we've been on that journey. Nice. And, and so how do you spend your time these days? Um, what does that typically look like for you? Yeah. Uh, well, I wish I had, um, uh, some time to breathe and actually reflect on that. I was <laughs> sort of, uh, I sort of by personality, I'm a grinder. I mean, I, I can kind of, I knocked 15,000 doors in my two state house campaigns. I was sort of a relentless door knocker, just thousands of them. And I think I'm a little bit of the same approach on our deals. So I still at the stage of the business where I'm heavily involved in deal flow. Um, but we, as we've grown and we took our series A money, I obviously have to grow my executive team. Uh, I've been excited to do that. So I'd say my day is uh, right now, uh, especially with year end coming up an extraordinary pressure to hit our year end revenue. Uh, I just, in fact, I was rudely late to this, uh, interview because I was talking to my, uh, you know, my deal partner at our, at our VC. So got a lot of board management, um, obviously managing our teams, uh, but our North star is obviously to hit our year end revenue goals because like any business, our future is sustained through growth. Yeah. I love that. And then to kind of get to the end here, um, if I want to kind of get like, what is your vision for the future of maybe the company or the legal profession? I know you've hit on this a bit in here, but you know, what's your like bigger picture vision there? I think a vision is where Bodala sits at the center of an efficient legal market where there is value driven spending for, for the corporate legal department and the law firm. And it is not a world, there's a lot of stories out there that the lawyers are going away, the robots are coming over, uh, uh, taking over. We don't necessarily agree with that, and I don't even really have an opinion on that. What I do know is that there is a critical function that the law serves in the economic and commerce, and right now it's not being optimized at all for the clients, for the buy side of the house. And so our vision is that Bodala, through our, through our software, through our people, through our platform, through our philosophy, through our methodology, that the entire industry gets right-sized and actually functions like an efficient market where we know there's value being driven up and down the chain. When that happens, then we will, we will have succeeded in our Nice. I love that. And uh, final question here is just what advice would you say give to other entrepreneurs who are maybe earlier in their journey, uh, they're maybe, you know, sitting in that office, you know, with their CRAN business plan at this point, uh, getting things started, you know, what advice do you have for others who are on their journey? Yeah, well, I, I, uh, I'll, I'll say it succinctly, which is take advice, um, meaning that uh, I, there, there's a certain hubris needed to obviously be an entrepreneur. We all know that. Um, and a lot of that is super healthy. I, I also, um, I sort of had a paradox, which is I'm blessed with a fairly uh, large network 
that I really enjoy. And so I, I do check in with lots and lots of people. I always had a pretty large kitchen cabinet, even was a, when I was an elected official. Uh, but I would say taking good advice and sorting out the wheat from the chaff is sort of the name of the game. And, um, you know, I used to joke when I was a politician that, you know, because people watch CNN, they think they're like an expert on the industry. So people will walk up to you in an event and say, hey, you want to win the election? Wear purple every Thursday. Trust me, I got it. it. You know, it totally works. You know, and it's like nobody walks up to like a neurosurgeon and says, you know, you missed a capillary in there, you know. Because, uh, so it, it's like it, it's a realm of kind of unsolicited, un, unstoppable, steady stream of advice. And so I would just say if I had to nail it down to one pithy thing, which is uh, understand the the advice that you trust and rely on and be consistent and steady and regular with it. Um, even when it's advice that you may not, that may not uh, be consistent with where your head is or what you want to hear. Um, but that I, you know, I think I did some of that well and some of it I did very poorly. Awesome. I love that. That's super, super valuable. I know that that's one of the hardest parts of the entrepreneurial journey often is just, uh, yeah, taking that proper advice. So awesome stuff here. I, I appreciate you coming on here, Raj, um, and sharing sure. this. For anyone in the audience who wants to just, you know, learn more about you or Bodala, where can they go to find out more online? Yeah, uh, obviously go to bodala.com. That's B-O-D-H-A-L-A.com. We're obviously active on LinkedIn as well. And uh, if you'd like, shoot me an email. I'm Raj at bodala.com. R-A-J at B-O-D-H-A-L-A.com. Awesome. Thanks. For, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Jake. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find links and show notes from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.